In the stories that we have about Jesus, there are sometimes references to two different religious groups, Jews and Samaritans. Now these two groups shared a common religious heritage, but there were significant differences between them. They did not share the same sacred sites. They had differing views about which books of the Hebrew Bible were most authoritative for the living out of their faith. Over the years, relationships became strained and even violent between these two groups. So by the time of Jesus, it would have been unusual for a Jew to have referred to a Samaritan as good. And yet that's exactly what Jesus did. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think? was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. In the name of God, the Creator, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit, amen. What a story. Have I got a story for you. What's his story? So now you're changing your story? I agree with Gary Gunderson, the author of Deeply Woven Roots, when he says, humans are storytelling creatures whose behavior individually and socially is driven less by genetic templates than by the stories we understand ourselves to be playing out. We tell stories to pass the time, to get at the truth, to hide the truth, to gossip, to understand, to soak ourselves in the workings of the imagination. Some people call this binge watching on Netflix, but I like, to, I like to refer to it as soaking in the workings of the imagination. I love to tell the story. It's the first line of a hymn that people of Christian faith have been singing for many decades. And there's a reminder in those six little words that before faith ever takes shape as beliefs, or convictions or complex theological statements. It's a story of relationship 
between the mystery of people and the mystery of God. It's a story about people wrestling with what it means to live well and do the right thing and love and forgive and not to give in when our backs are against the wall. And as the author implies in his hymn, the story he loves to tell is worth telling because those stories just might show us a pathway to God or to healing. They might give us courage or reveal an insight that can help us to resolve a problem. And every generation has to figure out how it's going to pass along those stories to the next generation so those people can enjoy the benefit of the resources that are contained in those sacred texts. In his book, Trumpet Notes, Fred Block says this, it is not enough for a movement to have logic or justice or even millions of people on its side. It has to be able to tell powerful stories about how the society has changed in the past and how it could change in the future, presumably for the better. Whenever I enter the sanctuary in which I'm taping this message, my eye is drawn to the book that lies at the center of this space. This, this is a book that contains our sacred stories, our scriptures. It's always open. It's inviting, it's welcoming us to engage it. It is our community storybook. And this sanctuary is actually shaped to create a natural arc around the space where this storybook sits, as if drawing us together for a story time where we can put into conversation our stories and the sacred stories that have been handed down to us by our spiritual ancestors. What would the world look like if we somehow lost access to those texts? What would the work of the next generation be if they didn't have access to those stories and the values and virtues inside them? Some years ago, I had coffee with a college student who'd begun attending worship at a congregation that I served. And when we were talking together, I asked him to describe his experience of worship to me. And he said, well, I really enjoy it. But he said, what is that book that you read from every Sunday? And I said, do you mean the Bible? And he said, is that what you call it? And I said, yes, that's our community storybook. Now here was a young man who had had no prior experience of the church. So he didn't know what a hymnal was and he didn't know what a Bible was. And therefore he was just beginning to learn these sacred texts and how they might impact his life for the better. John Shea is a Roman Catholic scholar who's used his own powerful imagination to create beautiful conversations with the stories of the past and the challenges of the present. And he has something specifically to say about the power of biblical stories. He said, the stories of scripture were remembered and today remain memorable because they are similar enough to our own lives, lives for us to see ourselves, yet different enough from our lives for us to see new possibilities. They tell us what we want to know and more. They come close to home and yet are an invitation to a journey. Putting stories into connection with one another, diving into those stories for meaning and perspective. This is what we do every time we gather for worship. 
And these are practices that people of faith have used for thousands of years, not just to shore up our personal, personal lives when our faith is flagging, but to shape the kind of world in which we want to live. We are literally telling a story of the world coming into being as we, going, as we go along. Our dream is to tell a story of a world whose values and practices are in alignment with the dreams that God has for all people and creation. So we have stories as resources to help us keep our focus on the kingdom of God as we move through life. So when we hear stories or voices that promote fear and divisiveness, we might call to mind, for example, the story of Jesus meeting with his disciples, following his resurrection, interacting with this fretful and jittery group of men following his death. And what does Jesus say to them at that point? My peace I give to you. Receive my spirit. And he breathed his spirit into them. He wasn't communicating fear to them, but rather the power of the spirit to transcend that fear. If we should feel hesitant about getting involved in a cause or a movement that seems to outstrip our gifts or abilities, we might do well to read the story of Esther. Her story is told in the little book of Esther in the Hebrew Bible. It's the only book of the Bible that contains no reference to God. What it does do is to tell the story of this young Jewish woman who is a member of the court of a Persian king. And at one point, at great risk to herself, she had to confront the king with news of an injustice and to seek his help in addressing that injustice, even though this put her life at risk. This is a story we can tell when we want to be involved in something that seems too large for us, but yet calls for us to become engaged. I once read about a pastor who was able to bring healing to a divided family by inviting them to visit a sacred story from the past and then putting that into conversation with a challenging story in the present. The members of this family were awaiting the homecoming of a son who had moved away as a young man and then completely turned his back on his loved ones, showing no regard for their lives or concerns. They had been out of touch with one another for years. And then one day, out of the blue, he called home, informing his family that he was coming back and clearly expecting to receive a warm welcome. Well, this family, having nursed hurt feelings for a long time, asked their pastor to help them consider how best to respond to this situation, because soon enough, that young man was going to be showing up at the doorstep. Sounds like a familiar story to me, she said. Jesus once talked about a young man who wanted to get away from home and demanded his inheritance from his father and then left and went his own way and had no contact with anyone after he left, squandered all of his resources, and then finally decided he had to go back home. And when he did, he had to face both his father and an older brother. And of course, the genius of that story is how those interactions played out. She looked at the family gathered around the kitchen table where they were meeting for their discussion, and she said, that story is known as the story of the prodigal son. Maybe you could read it together, she said. See how it turns out in the biblical story. See how you want to turn out in your story 
and decide whether you want to make that story your story. Now she knew that this, that this biblical text would be familiar to them, and yet she also knew that it would stretch them and challenge them because the whole point of the story of the biblical prodigal son is that the father shows him an extravagant welcome when he comes home, which uh, was not very pleasing to the older brother, by the way, but that's why she put the story in their hands to figure out how it was all going to turn out when these stories met one another. It takes strength to tell stories that can raise a difficult truth or confront an injustice because those are the stories that require us to be vulnerable or step out of our comfort zones or risk confrontation. As I heard William Sloan Coffin say when he was the pastor of Riverside Church in New York City, no one will love you for being the enemy of their illusions. Now Jesus must have known that and he told the truth anyway. When he told the story of the Good Samaritan, he redefined forever the spirit of compassion that lies at the heart of true neighborliness. He understood that the neighbor is not just the person who lives with you or next door. Your neighbor is anyone with whom you share a common humanity. There may be extraordinary differences between you and your neighbor, but that commonness is something that has to be addressed. And he was simultaneously undermining a prevailing prejudice towards an entire group of people. At a time when the words good and Samaritan were not likely to stand side by side in the same sentence, Jesus told a story about the compassion of, you got it, a good Samaritan. And I think Jesus was telling that story as if to say, look, the animosity between Jews and Samaritans it's an old story. It's a tired and stale story that is not nourishing for anyone. It's time for us to start a new story, one that celebrates our common humanity and builds us together for a common good. Is there some part of the life you're living, some part of your experience of life now that is longing for a new story? Is there something that's gone stale, that needs to be refreshed, that needs that spirit life in it in order to create a whole new way of looking at the future? In a movie called Mass Appeal, the actor Jack Lemmon played a priest serving an affluent suburban parish where he was very well liked. And he had built his entire ministry on one principle, don't offend anybody. At one point in the movie, this priest really began to understand that his life, though safe and well padded, was slowly choking the truth from him. He had lost the capacity to tell difficult truths, to challenge his congregation, to risk confrontation. And at one point in the film, the priest, played by Jack Lemmon, was about to celebrate the sacrament of Holy Communion, and he simply stopped and said, I can't do this anymore. This was the juncture in his life between an old story that was not ultimately fulfilling and a new story of vibrant faith and robust compassion. It's a great moment in a lifetime when we let go of a story that's slowly destroying us in favor of a story that can bring us more joy and more connection 
and deeper faith. And these days, and perhaps it's living in the pandemic that's taught me to do this, when I find an old script that's running through my head, one that involves self-judgment or despair about the future, I find myself saying, wait, that's an old story. I don't want to listen to that story anymore. I don't want to write that story anymore. I want a new story in my life. We have the same strength that Martin Luther King Jr. had when he wove a dream about the future of a country where all people would be treated with dignity and respect and equality. You know, we are decades removed from the day when he delivered his I Have a Dream speech on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. And yet, the ability to weave that story and to continue that dream is as fresh now as ever it was. We have the strength as a congregation to tell a, a story about our future that in, could include initiatives unlike anything we've ever done before. Jesus said to his disciples, greater things shall you do than I have done. In other words, tell new and better and brighter stories. It lies within our power to tell a story about a world that is sustainable and to back it up by taking every measure in our power to live a way of life that prioritizes creation care. That's the story we want to be telling. So let's tell stories about who we want to be, who God is calling us to be individually and as a congregation, and then do everything possible to move in the direction of our dreams. Amen.